0: Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire.
1: Hey, friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivy podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a friend to join me, and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Happy, happy December, you guys. My guest for today's show is Jamie Grace. Jamie Grace is a contemporary Christian music artist who started her career at the age of 14. Yes, she's made several albums and recently released a book called Finding Quiet, My Journey to Peace in an Anxious World. Jamie lives on the West Coast with her husband and her daughter, and she's back on the show. She's been on before when she was a newlywed back in 2018, so I loved hearing about all the life updates since she was last on. On today's show, we talk about finding quiet through seasons of change growing up in the public eye as a teen star, and the process of transitioning her image from child fame to a grown, married woman with a family. She also shares about her experience with mental illness and postpartum depression and how important it is to seek help when we need it. I think in a lot of ways, we all struggle to ask for help because it makes us feel inadequate maybe or less than. And I loved it when Jamie says, I cannot rely on my feelings, which are so inconsistent. I have to rely on the truth. You guys are going to love that when you hear it coming up. Asking for help may make us feel inferior, but those feelings are not true. The truth is that God will meet all of our needs, but we sometimes just have to be willing to ask for and accept the help that he provides. You're going to love my conversation with Jamie today. Before we get to that, I want to tell you guys about Compassion International. If you heard last week, my guest, Jonathan Alamonte tells us a story of growing up in the DR in the midst of poverty and how his life was changed forever and the life of his mom was changed forever when their paths intersected with a local church there. That local church was a place where Compassion International could reach the community. It's one of my favorite things about Compassion International, and I've been able to see the programs with my own eyes in three different countries. I've seen it in Kenya, I've seen it in Mexico and I've seen it in Haiti as well. They are doing such good work and they need people like you to link arms with them to help. It's $38 a month. And with your $38, the child that you sponsor is going to not only receive care, they're not only going to receive education, they're not only going to receive what they need to go to school, they're also going to receive medical help and everyone in their family is also going to receive help. Right now, there are over a 1,000 children in the Dominican Republic who have been waiting to be sponsored for over a year. Would you think about sponsoring one of those kids today? In fact, if you sponsor today using our specific link, which is compassion.com slash ivy, we're going to send you a gift as a thank you. We're going to send you an ornament from Grace Lace, and we're going to send you a signed copy of my newest book, You, be you. One of our biggest dreams at the happy hour is to take a happy hour plus compassion trip to the DR. Our hope behind that is to take people like you who stepped out and said, I want to step into a child's life for $38 a month, and I want to help them become who they're supposed to be through the local church in their community. I can't stress enough how important that is and how much I love it. So we want to take a trip. We want to take people like you who have stepped out and said, yes, I want to sponsor a child and we want to help you meet your child. So we're hoping and planning and praying that when things start to open back up, we can start to think more about this. In the meantime, would you think about sponsoring a child today in the DR? Go to compassion.com slash Ivy and look at all of the children that have been waiting over a year to be sponsored. All right, my friends, here is my conversation with Jamie Grace.
2: Jamie Grace, welcome back to the happy hour. (laughs) Thank you so much, Jamie. Ivy, it's great to chat with you. You're a returning guest.
1: You were here a little over two years ago, episode number 203, which
2: is crazy. So welcome back. Thank you. I had been married for like five minutes. When you had been married for five minutes. <laughs> when we first started talking. Yeah. I remember that it was that was a, like yeah, like over two years ago. So yeah,
1: yeah. For having me back. You're so welcome. And today it's you and a special <laughs> guest. We should let yeah. everyone know in case yes. we
2: hear them. I want everyone to know. Yeah. And in case you do use the visual, I'll just give everybody this terrible lighting. But my daughter Isabella, my husband is so sweet. He brought her high chair up to my office. And so <laughs> she is just munching away on her lunch right now and just hanging out. This is what we call like mom life.
1: You know, <laughs> you're sitting here doing a podcast. This doesn't come out until the very first week of December, but it, we're recording October 13th, which is the actual release day yeah. of your new book. Congrats! Yes, yes, so today's thanks. release day. You're mm-hmm. recording a podcast and you're cutting up food and giving out a juice box to your daughter. This is right. the life.
2: <laughs> Literally holding a juice box in one hand <laughs> and in my right hand, I've got uh, YouTube on standby. That'll start on the TV down the hall, so that she can run down there and be excited when she hears it down the hall, just in case. So, oh my you know, gosh, I'm, I'm prepared, Jamie. I've I've learned a lot of lessons. Not really sure who taught me this exact lesson, but I'm ready
1: to go. Let's do this. This is what I need everyone to know because they think like, oh, my gosh, you released a book or you released an album or you're yeah. doing all these things. I need to know that Jamie Grace released a book today and she still has to feed her daughter lunch. You guys, <laughs> nothing <laughs> changes in her life. <laughs>
2: exactly. People like, how you feel? I'm like, well, a one year old woke me up at 7 a.m. with a book called Dada. So, you know, <laughs> there it is. There it is. <laughs>
1: well, in all seriousness, congrats. Congrats. Thank you so I always say that I feel like releasing a book is feels like getting run over by a Mack truck full of party supplies. <laughs> it is so fun you and there's do. like so many things and yet yeah. it's so exhausting.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It, it literally is everything. Like when I was, I tend to type like Instagram captions and stuff, almost verbatim of what happens in my brain, which is most of the time. Okay. And I was just typing and I was like, I'm excited. I'm honored. I'm tired. And I just left it in there because I was like, it's true. I'm tired. Yeah, but like okay. you said, it's party supplies. So it's this exhaustion that leads into like just gratitude and joy at the same yeah. time. You know, yeah. I've, I've been working on this book for literal years. And so it's good to finally have it out in the world.
1: You know, a lot of people will ask when you release a book, like, do you feel vulnerable? And what does it feel like putting yourself out there and your words out there? This is not the first time you put words out there. It's not the first time you put yourself out there by any means. You're an artist, uh, you release music. Is there a difference between handing the world something for us to listen to versus something for us to read that you created?
2: Yeah. I mean, there was definitely more pressure going into this, you know, especially the nature of my music. I'll have a lot of And I'm grateful for this, but I'll have, like, you know, people in, like, their 30s, like, reach out and be like, oh, my daughter's a huge fan. It's the music that gets her up in the morning. And that's, like, a huge, like, privilege and a huge blessing. I do think that a lot of times what happens is people forget that, like, I'm almost 30 and I also have a child. And so my music has kind of been, like, you know, kind of the very much safe for the family which I love like I'm so glad that I can play my music in front of my nieces and my daughter and not worry about you know like oh no I recorded this one song you know I dropped a certain word in that so I'm definitely grateful for that but it's just it's crazy like even the first time I did the interview with you I was like whoa like I hope this comes out right but I was like whoa like Jamie Ivy's like an adult like you know like I got to do an interview on like an adult podcast right. it wasn't like it wasn't like oh this is the podcast for everybody's kids and yeah. so it was definitely more intimidating because I haven't changed like I'm still the same person but people are seeing me I think in a different way if that makes sense and so totally. it's quite a bit more intimidating for people to see like oh she is an adult. She has faced things. Like, this isn't just about happy-go-lucky music, you know. Someone got an emailed and they were like, is this book okay for my 13-year-old? She has anxiety. And, you know, I can't really answer that for everybody's kid because everybody's kid is different. But, you know, I have to just be honest with people and be like, this book isn't written for 13-year-olds, you know. This is a book about a 20-something facing adversity. And so it's more intimidating in that sense that I feel like people are like, I don't know, like seeing like, seeing like oh, maybe she's gone through a few things. <laughs> she's grown up now, right before her right, eyes. Exactly. You know, it's kind of like this is the same
1: but different is what the example I'm about to use. It's kind of like when, I mean, this was your life. You started
2: doing things, what, 14? I've been owning this phrase lately, even though it makes me nervous, but I was a teen star. You know, I was on TBN as a teenager, like on a kid's TV show. So right. it's the reality.
1: <laughs> so the reality is it's when a teen star starts growing up and then they start to have, they get married and they have children and then they become older people. They're not that same person that they were at 14, 15, right, 16. Right. So exactly. that's what you're having to walk through right now.
2: Right. Exactly. And, you know, I've always had this I don't want to make myself sound like I'm just like I just extend so much grace. But I've always had this like grace and this compassion for artists like Miley Cyrus and Demi mm-hmm. Lovato and Selena Gomez and Justin Bieber. When I <laughs> I did the, I remember doing this YouTube video like four years ago where it's literally just me fussing at people, being like, just be nice to them. <laughs> I'm like, so trying to figure it out. Like, and I'm not saying that, you know, we should just throw out an exemption to all error, and I'm not saying that at all, but I just, I know what it's like for people to see you as a little kid. And then you want to grow up and you want to experience life and you're trying to figure out who you are, you know, and I don't know their personal faith journeys, but I know that I have Jesus walking with me. And if you don't have that, or if you don't have community, if you don't have your parents by your side, like, I can't imagine what that must be like to try to grow up in the public eye. You know, I remember being like 2021 and like grown men that I worked with, like telling me like, you can't date, like you can't have a boyfriend. And Like, you know, it's like, this doesn't make sense for your brand and stuff Mm. like that. And I just, you know, so I understand on a very small scale, what that's like trying to grow up in the public eye and trying to not feel that that judgment and that shame as you're trying to navigate the adversity that you are facing as a young adult, and grow up with grace and and strength and, and joy as well. So yeah, I'm like if I, if that's what it's like for me on on my tiny little Christian TV show teen star scale. <laughs> Imagine
1: if your name is Justin or Demi or Miley, you know, right? You don't even need a second name. It's like people just know who you're. <laughs> you know who about. I'm talking about. It's so true. <laughs> well, okay. So since you were on last, you had been married for seven minutes when you came on my yeah. show, but now. <laughs> You have a baby who, if we hear her, she's there. She's totally welcome to hang out with us today, (laughs) Isabella.
2: And how old is she now? She is, you know, well, she's one, but all the moms listening, she's 16 months. (laughs) There you go. She's two ages. I was wondering
1: when you have, if you do, you you and Aaron may be done. It's none of my business or anyone's business, but if you have more kids, like the last one, you're like, I don't. How many months she is like she'll just right, be right, three right. like next
2: year I don't know <laughs> I literally started counting the months because like moms in Costco seemed so disappointed in me <laughs> and I don't usually care when moms in Costco seem disappointed in me but like when it's to the point where they're like so how old is she and I'm like she's one and they're looking at me like what kind of one I'm like, whoa I need to know also Jamie you have to remember like not that we're like trying to be you guys but I'm a Jamie I married an Aaron and we're a very like pro-adoption, pro-foster care families. Uh So this is not the end for us. (laughs) I gave this little girl the middle name Brave because I was like listen, child. (laughs) You're in. You're in. You will need that bravery because you are will be the oldest of many. So you
1: crack me up because you'll like text me and be like, hey, when are you writing a parenting book? And I'm like, never. I'm never writing a parenting book. Just so you know, like the answer is no. <laughs> uh,
2: but then I, I started reading UBU and I was like, oh, wait, this counts. <laughs>
1: <laughs> OK, good. I'm going to now say UBU is like it's for women finding their identity and calling and parenting. So there's yes, that. <laughs> I
2: literally quoted UBU in a podcast about finding quiet the other day because <laughs> oh. someone asked to be a question. I don't remember what the heck is in my book. Like I wrote that thing like two years ago. So someone was like, can you explain this? I was like, honestly, I'm a quote Jamie Ivey when it comes to parenting. And then I talked about how you talk about success and faithfulness. Aww. Um, and I literally, like, literally did not even promote my book. I was like, I don't know what my book is about. <laughs> Sorry, just kidding. I do. Let's you know what? about it. That is, that is something that people don't realize is that when a book comes
1: out and hits a shelf, you've been thinking You wrote that book. I mean, my book also released in October. So we both released books in October. I turned it in a year ago, October. And again, it goes to a bunch of editing, all this stuff. But like, that means you worked on it for a year before. I mean, it's just crazy how long you
2: work on something. And I feel like I would be like that one person to like always reference the one story that got edited out. Be like, oh my gosh, on page 19. And then like three (laughs) months later, they're like, little girl, that story. That didn't make it. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't make it. Didn't make it. I'm going to be honest. Well, never mind. Actually, let me be quiet before. I I saw a little like editing of the brain right there when you were like, nope, not going to do it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, censoring, yeah. but except I'll uncensor it because now I think it's funny, but I just like I read all the edits of my book because that's what you should do. But I think I it's possible that I skipped out on the full reading through of the very last edit because they were like, okay, can you tell us we moved some like periods around? I was like, I literally sent an email and I said, if this many educated and Jesus loving people have read this book at this point, <laughs> we're good to go. I
1: trust it. <laughs> I trust it. I trust it. Okay, so this is the book that we're talking about. It's called Finding Quiet. Again, released on October 13th. Everybody get it. I've read it. So, so good. And this is a book for you. The tagline is My Journey to Peace in an Anxious World. And we touched on this when you were here last time about you getting diagnosed with Tourette Syndrome when you were how old? 11 years old. Yeah. 11. Anxiety.
2: Yeah. ADHD and OCD.
1: Yes. All around 11. At a, yeah, good old same appointment. <laughs> <We're> like, <"Here laughs> that you was go.
2: a fun one. <laughs> good luck.
1: <laughs> <laughs> there you go. But you know what? What I think is, and we touched on this a little bit, so I'm going to preface this. I'm going to jump into Finding Quiet is with you being 11 and getting those diagnoses. And then we've already told some of the things that you've done. I mean, you became, you know, this teen star at a young age. We're doing things, being creative. Your parents were letting you go out and do these things. It feels like this. You've had to journey for a long time to figure out how to find this quiet. And here you are, you know, almost 30, releasing a book called Finding Quiet. Why was it important for you to even tell this story right now and your age and
2: what you're doing about finding this quiet? It's crazy because it started with me trying to find it myself. It wasn't even at all in my plan to share the story. I, you know, I, I was experiencing a lot of life change. <laughs> I was newly married. I had just moved to the West Coast with my family. And so, well, yeah, rephrase. I just moved to the West Coast with my family. And then I got married a couple years into that. I'm trying to remember, I think, I think I just found out that I was pregnant. I was an independent artist. So I was like self-funding all of my music, which turned into me learning how to produce all of my music because it was really expensive to pay for people to do it. So I was just experiencing so much life change and just honestly, some doubt about my career. Like, am I supposed to be Jamie Grace? Like, have I reached the end? You know, I went from touring and like the big tour buses to like me and some friends and my husband in our SUV. So Mm -hmm. it just, everything was so different. And I really needed to find quiet for myself. My mom was so good about that when we were kids. She always helped us center and like focus and find peace. Like home was always this. Granted, it was loud and crazy and fun, but it was somehow also peaceful and quiet. And I started losing. I felt like I was losing that. I lost sense of what that meant. So I started journaling on just trying to calm my own anxiety. And I shared it with my sister, who she and I, depending on what circle we're in, we call each other our claim to fame. So she's the poet Morgan Harper Nichols. And I shared it with her. And she said, this is not a journal. She said, this is chapter one. Mm. And, you know, like any little sister of a famous poet says, I was like, you're dumb. You know nothing about writing. Don't <laughs> That was not a good word. <laughs> And so I'm sorry, that was to my child, if you're listening. (laughs) But yeah, like I told my sister, I was like, no, like you don't know what you're talking about. You know nothing about writing. But thankfully, just my family, my sister, everybody was really encouraging. And I just kept writing and writing. So it started out as a journal, like it literally wasn't even supposed to be. A book to share yeah. with other people, which I think also is why I kind of feel weird about it releasing. Really not bad, weird, but like I think like detached. Like I'm just like, oh, like yeah. pretending like it's not out there. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> we'll save that from my therapist. But, but yeah. So that's what happened there. <laughs> okay. So here's my question for
1: you about finding quiet is. I would imagine that um, you live a a busy life, but just being like a mom to a one-year-old is busy, right? married, um, creating music, stuff like that. And I know that you lived a busy life when you were younger. And you just told me that like your mom created this peaceful home, even though it wasn't like void of, of noise per se, but it was this peaceful place, right? I think that's what a lot of people are yearning for is how do Mm -hmm. I have in the midst of what can feel like very chaotic and noisy lifestyle sometimes. So what is that? What is that peaceful home that your mom created? And what have you found is the peace in the midst of you still have your obligations in life and you still have maybe a diagnosis and you still have a job. These things don't go away. Right. So how do we find that in the midst of it?
2: Yeah and I mean you know when I say that our home growing up was loud like I mean it like everybody in our house loves dance and instruments and music my parents uh they're both Morgan and I were biological sisters that are biological parents, but our parents fostered children. And so there were always kids in and out of the home. Our parents are pastors. There was always a counseling session happening in the home. So it was so much happening in that house all the time. But one thing that my mom did, she really enjoyed quiet car rides. And I know exactly how long it takes to get to our home church from our house. It's 12 minutes just over because my mom really enjoyed quiet. Now, again, we love music. We love talk radio. Um, I guess now they're called podcasts. But, you know, (laughs) growing up, my mom would say, we're just going to embrace the quiet in the car. And -hmm. you could talk, of course, like it's, you know, you don't have to be quiet, but Mm -hmm. we would just cut out some of the additional noise that was unnecessary. You know, something that I learned from my mom is like, it's really easy to acknowledge all of the noise around us. Like for me, like I could be like, Oh yeah, my daughter always needs something. Or, you know, when my husband's working out at home, he's blasting music or, you know, our neighbors are really chatty. You know, they have like this one dog that just hangs out on the porch and I'm just like, Hey guys, (laughs) let's make him an indoor puppy. You know? So like, it's like, I could of course acknowledge all of the noise that I hear, but what about the noise that I'm adding to my life that I don't, that like I have to own that too Mm. you know and so my mom was really good about just being quiet in the car and we couldn't afford AC so the windows were always down so we'd hear the wind blowing we'd hear the trees we'd hear you know people honking their horns and you know just little things that we start to not pay attention to like sirens when we hear an ambulance it's like that's a big deal. Like Mm -hmm. someone could be really sick and injured, yet we just hear it. It's just in the back of our mind. But when you're tuning into the quiet, those things become more important to us Mm -hmm. and more significant and can even cause us to think about our own lives and how much time do we have left and am I using it wisely? And so that was the main thing that my mom did. But another thing is just like We had a lot of books in our home. And so we always had a place where we could go to read and to recenter ourselves. And we always had family dinner. Well, yeah, we always had family dinner and things like that. So just like little intentional times that she would just take out, um, just check in with us and just give us like, hey, why don't you go read (laughs) Garnia? Like, hey, why don't we turn off the music for a little while? We didn't. We also watched very little television. Which I joke with my mom and tell her that it backfired because I love TV now. So (laughs) she kind of, but also that's like the business I work in. So I kind of have to love TV now. Yeah. But yeah, so those are kind of some of the things that she focused on growing up. I love that.
0: Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at discounttire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in 1 minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire.
2: Feel like you got enough to do already? I do. That's why I use ship same day delivery to keep up with my busy life. They know the snacks I like down to the extra creamy in my peanut butter. I can get deliveries at home, on set, or even when I'm away on vacay. And my personal shopper, Amber, she's got my back. As in, she asks them to check the back if it's not on the shelf. Shipped! Delight in every delivery. Learn more at ship.com/slash hi.
1: You know, you talk a lot in this book about, you know, jumping in and talking about mental health. And it's a conversation that I'm happy that is happening more and more in the church. And I think I read something like something like 48, 45 million people are diagnosed with mental health, with a struggle with mental health. And so for you, not even just like just quieting our schedules and our noise. The noise of the world around us. But how have you journeyed into helping quiet yourself like with God and walking through struggles that you might have that you get to talk about now in an open space where I think is amazing about mental health? But what is something that you would want to like share and encourage someone who might be on that same journey? Yeah,
2: you know, I think one of the main things is that it's okay to ask for help. You know, I think And if you're anything like me, then you're really good at convincing yourself that help is non-existent, you know, really good at convincing yourself like, oh, like I can't call this person or I can't reach out to this person or I can't, you know, God forbid I get help or something like that. And there, there is always help. Like Mm. even if, You like literally, like if your biological family, like if your parents are, you know, physically distant, if you're, or if you have an unhealthy relationship with your parents and you're not able to be connected with them, if you are an only child, if you don't have a home church, like I promise you, help is there. And sometimes we have to put in the work to go find it, but it will be worth it. And that's something that we have to do to take care of ourselves. We have to advocate for ourselves. You know, God is our provider. And God will never leave us and he will never forsake us. But God is not (laughs) the player one in a video game, you know, that will just reach down and grab us by our shoulder and place us where we need to be. Mm -hmm. Unless he starts doing that, I'm not here to say what God will and won't do. (laughs) But based on, you know, what I'm aware of, that doesn't happen. And so we have to be able to reach out and ask for that help and you know, one of the first places that a lot of us can find that help is in our home. If you have a spouse or a sibling or a parent, you know, reach out to them and say like, hey, I'm struggling. I need some help. I need to talk. Or it might be, you know, a mentor. It might be a pastor. A lot of people say that, and I say this as someone that has gone to a larger church for the last few years, but I've actually heard a lot of people say, oh, my church is really big. Like they don't have stuff like that. And I'm like, well, hey, maybe it's time to switch gears and find a little country church with 80 mm-hmm. people in it. You know, <laughs> wear your mask or go online, you know, yeah. do what you gotta do mm-hmm. to be safe, but but find those people that can be your village, that can be your community. And I'm also a very pro-therapy person. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm like, So I remember after I I had Isabella, looking at her and don't know her name, like how, like how does that happen to a person? I'm sorry, sweetie. Oh, she's about to fall asleep. Uh, But I remember, you know, after I had her, I think it was about two to three months after I had her, and I was diagnosed with postpartum depression, and it was one of the hardest things that I've yet to do because, or like experience, because I'm just used to like. Most of my diagnosis happened when I was a minor, so it's like this built-in, oh, your parents are more than likely going to help you take care of it. But that was like one of the first times in my life where I really had to be proactive about saying to my husband and my sister and my mom, I need help. I can't do this alone. And it made me feel very inadequate and very insecure and less than to be honest. But mm-hmm. I knew what I had to do in that moment was not rely on my feelings, which are so inconsistent. I had to rely on the truth. And I knew the truth was that I could not do it alone. Yeah. And it, my daughter is better off for that. And I'm better off for that. Yeah. My marriage is better off for that. And so it's hard to ask for help. It's hard to fight past those feelings, reach for the truth and say, I need help but it's always worth it. It's always much better than trying to fight it alone.
1: You know, it's interesting as you were saying that, I think that a lot of women would be diagnosed with postpartum, but it might be the first time they have ever been diagnosed with any kind of mental health problem. And so I'm, I'm sitting here listening to you and you were saying how you knew that you had to ask for help and you knew you couldn't do it alone. Do you think that you had years of learning that kind of under your belt that helped you when you got there to go? I know that I can't do this by myself.
2: I think maybe like Uh, Subconsciously, I did. Because why did you ask for help and some people don't is what I'm trying to get to. Right, exactly. So the reason why I asked for help is because I physically saw that I couldn't do it alone. I had this terrible habit, like especially in my earlier 20s of just like, I can't do it alone, but I'm gonna do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. like, you know, just like run myself ragged. Like I'd be exhausted trying to like do everything by myself, take care of everything by myself and I would just fall asleep at some point. Yeah. So that was obviously, you know, not great and not healthy. The point that actually had me ask for help. So Aaron and I, you know, we dated for like five months before we got married. And so when we knew that we were having a baby, we were like, we should like, you know, get some extra resources as far as like, I'm I, again, I'm a very like, <laughs> I am a very pro-therapy person. So that's probably also where some of it came in, uh-huh. uh, came into play. And so I remember we had started seeing a therapist and we were sitting there And the baby was about three months old. And I was just, I was just, I was out. I was just very emotionally detached. And yeah, so I feel like I kind of went, to reach out for help before we needed it, if Mm -hmm. that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And then once it got so bad, our therapist looked at me and he was like, Hey, you're not okay. You know, we need to refer you to someone, a specialist that, you know, can help with specific issues um, for women. So that was kind of that, but also something that just started happening is like, I would be home with her and just having a really hard time emotionally, just Mm -hmm. crying so much. And I just had so much love for her, but I was, I was trying to breastfeed and that was like, wow. Like how, mm-hmm. like, how is that supposed to work? And then like trying to pump and like pump and write a book and record an album at the same time. And I was like, this just feels funny. I don't like how it feels. Yeah. Yeah. Like that was a huge part of it too. Like I couldn't produce milk and then I started feeling inadequate. And so A lot of it was just, it was very practical. It was like when we switched her to formula, I think was one of the other moments too, where I was Mm. like, hmm, this is affecting me emotionally. (laughs) Maybe I should talk to someone, you know, but I, I mean, I would hope that for other people that it doesn't take that much. You know, I would hope that it doesn't take having to actually see that you're not able to provide for your kid or, you know, do things that you used to enjoy or, you know, get up and go to work in the morning. Like, sometimes it does take that, but I would hope that it doesn't always take that, you know. Sometimes it takes just having the people that we love in our lives telling us, like, hey, are you checking in with us? Like, hey, are you okay? You know, Mm -hmm. you seem a little different and stuff like that. And just being able to trust them and Respect that they wouldn't say anything to harm Us but they really yeah. just want to make sure we're okay
1: I love that and I know that a lot of women Struggle with that it comes out of nowhere They're just kind of like I mm-hmm. don't even know what this is I don't know why yeah. this is. and then you start to think like I guess this is how I'm supposed to feel and then right. You kind of isolate and that can be A very very isolating place so I'm even Glad that you're speaking about it I have a Question for you like we've said a thousand Times today that you started so young in your career Yeah and you have struggled with anxiety I think a lot of people who struggle with anxiety Would run away from people or the things that maybe would cause tension, it yeah. feels to me like you've kind of run towards it a little bit. And you can correct me if I'm wrong here. Yeah. And how have you dealt with that? Like if you're having, how has your anxiety, how have you still
2: continued to have a career that mm-hmm. might cause you to be anxious? You know, a lot of times, well, I probably should Uh, own my privilege a little bit Uh, I am an Enneagram 7 so there's that Mm -hmm, I mm -hmm. just need to do and be and be and do Mm -hmm. Um, so there's that whole thing but a lot of times like with my anxiety I'll have this like anxiousness to just like fix and heal and do that's not even an Enneagram thing and one thing that I I have to like constantly catch myself is like I'll be like oh my gosh like like like, I'll see like a problem right and I'm like okay well we got to fix it And so I'm like, you know what I can do to fix it? I'm going to write an album. I'm going to make an album that's going to bless people. No, 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 no. I'm going to do a devotional series. No, I'm going to do an online course. No, no, no. I'm going to do a weekly live stream. Uh Like I did that this summer and I'm glad I did it, but also it made me really tired. But like I had a lot of, you know, people that were talking about how difficult it was like dating during quarantine and being single in quarantine because they felt so alone. And even though I've never been single in a quarantine, I was single for like a thousand years before I met my husband also my first boyfriend so I totally understood that so I took that to mean okay I am a first time mom in the middle of a quarantine trying to figure out how I'm gonna make enough music to like have a livelihood over here Mm -hmm. I should probably do a weekly live stream for single people right just answer all their questions Uh like that's probably what I need to do yeah So sometimes like that's kind of how my anxiety can come into play as like, I'll see problems and I'm just like, I don't want to see people sad. I just want everybody to be happy. So like, let me just fix this real quick. And I want to make sure that I don't sound like I'm arrogant. And I think that I'm the one that can fix because I'm more than willing to delegate. Like I'll send people like, like you, I'm like, you should write a parenting book. Like I will gladly send people text messages all the time. That's like, ah, you need a podcast. Mm -hmm. Like I am more than willing to delegate. I just sometimes I get a little too anxious about things and I want to do too much. But also the way that my career started was while it was loud, it was predominantly joyful. You know, I started out on YouTube and that was just like my own thing, right? So I had full control over how much I uploaded, how much I communicated and all that kind of stuff. Hi bug. And which was just Amazing. And then the kids show that I did, I Shine with TBN, that was also a kids tour. And so that was awesome because I was the third oldest, I think, but like everybody was a teenager that loved music, that loved singing, that loved dancing. So it was almost like just like it was calming for my anxiety because we were just a bunch of kids dreaming and having fun. It wasn't until I got older, became an adult, and I realized the elements of the entertainment business keyword business that were difficult for me and that were harder to handle that my anxiety started to have a negative impact mm. uh, on my career and stuff like that but like the beginning was just like a party it was like me and like a bunch of other kids just living the dream on a tour yeah. bus yeah signing autographs feeling like rock stars uh-huh. so it was yeah it was really awesome in the beginning <laughs>
1: In the beginning. Yeah. But then, as I mean, you got older, you said you had to come to terms with like, this is affecting me in in more ways than I thought and in different ways. Right. I want to switch gears with motherhood. You've been a mother for a minute, 16 months. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. You can say the same answer, but we were talking about, but there might be something else. What's been one of the biggest struggles for you in embracing motherhood right now?
2: I think like just. I'm not even, like I'm literally about to go back to your book, but I feel like one of the biggest things is like, just like living in the present mm. because I get so like overwhelmed with every little action, every little step. I'm always so concerned about how it's going to affect her future. And, you know, like I, I always think like with her feelings, like if I don't, teach her how to manage her feelings well. I'm like, oh no, is she going to be like an outrageous 15 year old one day? (laughs) Like, you know, I'm always, and obviously, you know, that stuff does come into play. Like I have my bachelor's in child and youth development. And also I think all humans just know that the way that a child is can affect how they are, you know, in their teen years and then into adulthood. But, but yeah, I'm really just learning to embrace the present a lot more and that's why in your book like it blessed me so much when it was just talking about like not so much like the success of like okay how are all your kids are going to turn out and so and i'm you know totally paraphrasing and everything but um but more of like what does your faithfulness look like now you know Um, mama mama doesn't mama doesn't (laughs) like crackers but thank you so much (laughs) that was so nice oh my goodness (laughs) but yeah just more so of like oh thank you I'm so good. I'm so full. Thank you, baby girl. But yeah, just like more so like just being faithful now instead of panicking and overthinking like, you know, I don't know. I love my parents. Like, I think I love them a healthy amount, but like I, you know, I try to make sure I don't love them too much, but like, they're my best friends. I really look up to them. My mom's taught parenting classes forever. My dad's a pastor. Both my parents are pastors. And like once, sometimes I struggle with like wanting to parent the way they parented and like, not to sound conceited, but I like how they, like, I like what they did. And so I get stressed out sometimes about like, oh no, Jamie, like, like, I'll be like, if I don't do this exactly how my mom did it, then I won't get the same results. Yeah. You know, like mm-hmm. my mom quit her job to homeschool us. And sometimes yeah. I feel guilty about working, yeah. which my mom is totally supportive of my job. But yeah. I get in my head like, well, my mom quit her job, so I should probably do right. the same. But, mm-hmm. So yeah, just a lot of overthinking with parenting. I'm really yeah. I'm really good. I'm trying to work on like <laughs> like a new like uh college where you can get like a degree in overthinking. So
1: you're in, you're the professor. Well, the good thing is, uh, the good thing and the bad thing is that you will overthink a million other things because, (laughs) you know, now I have a 16-year-old and who's just driving and doing his own thing. And let me tell you, that is a scary place to be for sure. (laughs) Jamie, I want you to know, I am so proud of this project that you released, Finding Quiet. And I think that so many people are going to be blessed by your words and encouraged, even in their own lives, of how to, to dive in and meditate and seek therapy and trust God and just really try to find those places where they can find the stillness and the quiet in their own heads and their own hearts. And so thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you.
0: Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. With my
2: busy life, I use shipped same-day delivery to keep up. When I need a jar of extra creamy peanut butter delivered, I know my personal shopper Amber will come through. And if it's not on the shelf, she asks them to check the back. Shipped. Delight in every delivery. Learn more at Shipped.com.
1: Okay. I always end every interview with what are you loving? What are you reading? What are
2: some things that you're loving? What are you reading? Tell me all the things. Well, a couple of million things. What am I reading right now? I just got The Lazy Genius. Wow. Kendra. Kendra. Yes. I just literally got it. So there's that. I've been vibing on some UBU. Oh, look at you. Also, I'm super late, but I'm reading uh, the McCords Becoming Us because good. Mm-hmm. I just I love the Enneagram so much. So what number
1: is your Aaron? Three. OK, I'm a six wing seven. Okay. And
2: my errands are three. Okay. Yeah. I knew either the Jamie's or the errands were the same number. Uh Yeah. So there's that. And I think just, this is so cliche, but just being home is making me really happy. I just did my first work trip away from my human's. And it was really hard and really stressful to be away from them. But, oh, man, it was nice. (laughs) (laughs) Jamie, let me tell you,
1: when uh, COVID hit and my whole life stopped, I stopped traveling and I would travel a handful of times a month. Yeah, I left for the first time in August. And let me tell you, I live in Austin. My trip was to Dallas. It's like a 40, maybe a a, a 36-minute flight. (laughs) Yes. Let me tell you. I was running out of my house. I was so excited. <laughs> my kids are like, wait, you're leaving? I'm like, I'm leaving. Bye. Peace out. I cannot talk to you. I'm gone. And literally, I was gone for one night. And it was... Oh, man. No, you know what's funny is I was scheduled to be gone for one night. And I got there. And the event that I was working at, they said, we have booked you through Sunday. Straight up called American Airlines, changed oh, my, my flight.
2: One more night. <laughs> it's like, I felt so guilty about that before. And then like, literally everybody in my life was like, Jamie... Like the thing that got me is, I think it was my mom or my husband, one of them, they're like the same person, which is creepy, but (laughs) one of them said to me, just think about it this way. You will be the best version of yourself for your daughter when you come home. And I was like, oh, that just took all the guilt away. So, like that first day, the first two days we had to quarantine, Jamie, they gave us a room service credit. Girl, I just sat up in that bed and ate <laughs> 48 hours. It was nice. I'm just kidding, Bill Bell. Mommy missed you. <laughs> uh,
1: uh, listen, my kids know that I love going out of town. And when I come back, I'm like, I got the thing is, I always say, like, especially for people like us that have careers that take us on the road, like, whenever I'm out traveling, I'm just actually doing what God has created me to do. It's one of the yeah. things He's created me to do. And another one is to be mom to these four kids. And I'm honored and and thankful that I get to do both. And when I'm on the road, I'm 100% doing what God's asked me to do when I'm at home with my kids. I'm trying real hard to be 100% present with them. And so it's just, I get it. I get what you're saying, but also we get to do our thing and it's exciting. Right. Jamie, thank you. Thank you, Jamie. Ivy. This was lovely. Thank you, Jamie Grace. It's so lovely. Always lovely to talk to you. And congrats on the book. Congrats on the baby. Congrats on all the things.
2: Thank you so much. I really appreciate it.
1: Today's show was edited and mixed by the team at Podshaper, and the music was developed for the show by Matt Graham. Show notes are written by Abby Castell, and the whole thing is organized by Lindsay Sweeney. Friends, enjoy your week. Share the show with a friend. Have a happy hour with a friend. Come back next week to hear my conversation with Love Beyond Walls founder, Terrence Lester.